0: This morning we're going to be talking about more gifts on Father's Day, and one of the gifts God gives us is the gift of music, and we can celebrate beauty uh, musically as well as artistically, and that's one of the ways that, that God allows us to enjoy, that's what He has made. Uh, Father's Day is a great day in which uh, we celebrate um, those who have significantly impacted our lives, and we, uh, we pray this is a, a day of blessing, even though for many it, it's filled with a variety of emotions, uh, some because you're... Uh, Your father no longer lives, and it could be over a period of time or in um, a longer period of time, or for some it's very real to them because it's just a matter of weeks or months that has happened. And in any way, we just really ask that God's comfort and and blessing be upon you on this day, as well as those who have the privilege of having fathers still around, and you can be excited about they're either the father of your children or, uh, and, and then also the father who brought in those who have now given you grandchildren. But we, uh, we just pray your blessing upon that. But on this day, what I want to do is I, I want to talk about you know, gifts in a broader sense than we've already looked at it as we we really look at God's major plan and then see how that plan has played out. Sometimes we go through life as Christians, and God has given us so much, and yet we, we, we use so little about what he has given us. I was reading a story about this... Uh, this individual that was labeled America's greatest miser. And she was uh, born at the turn of the 19th century, or the 20th century in the 1900s, and she left an estate of $100 million. What was interesting about that is she lived a life uh, rather austere. I mean, she ate cold uh, oatmeal every day, and the reason it was cold because she thought it cost too much to heat it. But that, you know, you can have your whatever uh, and do whatever you want in terms of how you eat cereal. But what, what was more heart-wrenching was that her son had to have his leg amputated. And the reason he had to have it amputated is because she took too long trying to find a free clinic that it went so long that um, she, she didn't get to the doctors in, in time. And it wasn't because she didn't have resources. She had resources, but she didn't want to use them. Now, how would you call a person like that? Crazy, eccentric, you know, unbalanced, whatever you want to say. Uh, but as, as, as true as that description might be, that's true also of Christians at times, is that God has given us so much, but we use so little. And whether your father was good or, or not, uh, our Heavenly Father is gooder. And the reason he's gooder, because he's the goodest. Now, that's bad grammar, but it's good theology, all right? And so we need, to, we need to remember that. We have the best father because he's the father of every good thing that comes from above. He is, the, he is the father who always gives good gifts. Now, some of those gifts are the gifts that we need to be taught a lesson with, but all his gifts are for our good. And so this morning, we again kind of look at this, This letter that we've just started and and just see how God unveils himself to his people back then and he unveils himself to us now as far as what kind of God uh, is there and you could say what kind of God do we have now it's interesting he starts out in revealing himself in the letter from the apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus in some of the um, more what word do I want to use? Uh, uh, In-depth view of of who he is. Probably the, the doctrine that challenges us as, as much as maybe the free will and sovereignty of God issue is the, the trinity, the Trinitarian concept of God. But that's, that's true in the scripture. There is one God. Within, within the one God, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we get to the third verse, Paul is is revealing what God is doing in all its Trinitarian form. Now, I say that not to boggle our minds this morning, but as we worship the one God, we need to worship in in spirit and in truth. And there is one God, but within the one God, the three persons do not work independently of each other. They're always working together, but they also work selectively. And when you think about God's gift to us, and in your outline this morning, uh, I I begin it with this statement. For those who have received the gift, you also receive all the other gifts. God is the giver, we are the receiver. And you can put it in its negative form. Those who have not received the gift don't receive any of the other gifts that are specifically designed for His children. We are all his creatures, but we are not all his children. And so we need to make sure that we have received the gift if we're going to be opening up the packages that have been labeled for his family. Now, it's interesting, as, as the Bible talks about the gifts, uh, the gift, it, at least in Second Corinthians, it describes it this way. Thanks be to God for his, what's the next word? Indescribable gift. Now, being the profound person that I am, I'm going to now describe that gift. And you should be laughing because the Bible just said it's indescribable. So anybody who just tries to describe the indescribable, there's something wrong with them. Crazy is eccentric out of out of balance. If we were trying to touch all that there is in the gift that's found in Jesus Christ and the salvation he has given those who respond to him. Words cannot come close to touching the majesty of what that is. But if anything it says to us is that we don't want to miss out on it, because if you don't have the gift, you're not going to receive anything else after that gift because you don't have that which begins at all. Now, how do we get it? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the what's the next word there gift of God, not of works l- lest anyone should boast. So again, that gift has to be given. And it's not something that we merit or we are smarter than the average bear or whatever you want to call it, that we were able to figure it out and no one else was or very few else were. God had to open up our lives so that we would take hold of that which he wanted us to receive. Now, God gives it and God chooses and elects those who will respond to him. But the Bible also says that all can come to him. So what is it we need to do to receive the gift? Now, sometimes in messages, what, what happens is the gospel is put on at the end of a message. You ever heard a preacher do that? You know, that's at the end. Well, we're going to put it at the beginning. In case this preacher forgets to put it at the end. Because you get in all these other things. What is it that we need to do to receive the gift? Well, we, in many ways, like to explain it in just the simple ABCs of the gospel. A, we need to admit our need. And this morning, I put desperate need and turn from our sins. We need to recognize that that we stand or sit right now before a God that we cannot see, but he's so holy, so powerful, so pure, so righteous, that if we had any sense of how immense he is and how holy he is compared to us, we would just fall on our face. We desperately need for him to, to show his mercy to us, which mercy has the idea of not giving us what we do deserve, and what we do deserve is judgment from him. That's the beginning. We've got to admit our desperate need and turn from that which is an offense to him. Secondly, we got to run to the solution. And that's believing, putting our trust in, full confidence in, surrendering to the, point, to the truth that Jesus paid fully for our sins and rose again. There was, there was a debt that we owed that we could not pay. And only Jesus could pay that. When he died on the cross... He died in our place. That should have been us on the cross paying for our crimes against a holy God. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And and the wages of sin is death, but he paid our wages on that cross and then rose again victoriously. That's the gospel. We admit our need, turn from our sin, believe that Jesus fully paid for our sins and rose again. And then we got to come to that point where we make a choice. And the choice is to commit ourselves to Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior. Now, we don't use lordship in our culture today, but lordship means that when we receive that gift of salvation, we are exchanging ownership. God, you're now in charge of my life. I've been running it all my own. Now, I, I turn from my sin to the Savior. And I I desperately need you and want you to lead my life. You are now the Lord of my life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, when we... Confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. Then we will be saved. So there comes that point in our life where we we know it, we hear it, and then we commit to it. Admit our need, believe, put our faith and confidence in him, and then commit ourselves to him. What I want us to do is that we begin this service is, is just bow in a word of prayer. And if you're still on the outside looking in, don't live another day without turning to the gift that God wants to give you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, all of us have to make a, a choice in life about who Jesus is, who we are, and what we're going to do about it. And maybe there's someone here this morning that, that needs to to respond to the ABCs of the gospel. They didn't need to admit their need and turn from their sin. Say, Jesus, I don't, I don't want to live life like I've been living it doing the self-oriented things I've done, things that hurt me and hurt other people. I turn from that. Secondly, Jesus, I believe that you really are the Son of God and that, that you died on the cross for my sins and paid that penalty and rose again. And I can only trust in you and you alone for salvation. And then see, Jesus, today I commit myself fully to have you to be Lord of my life, the God of my life, and the Savior of my life, I surrender my life to you. And as we pray this prayer, if you've done that for the very first time, then you have now received the gift that begins all other gifts. And if you've prayed this prayer and believed it in the past, then just reaffirm it and just say, Lord, you are to be Lord of my life, and I want to live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he was writing to people, the majority of them, I'm sure just like any church, not everyone, had responded to the gospel that attended their gatherings. But by and large, they were, they were followers of Christ, but they weren't living like it. They were, they were living like um, that Hetty Green who, who had $100 million in an estate but couldn't eat a hot oatmeal and couldn't, and couldn't send a, her, her son to, to have his leg treated even though she had all the resources, more than she needed. And and so he writes to them and says, I'm going to be challenging to live your faith out. Before you live your faith out, you need to know what what you have in your faith. And he talks about the gifts. And we've talked about them last week, but uh, just a couple review things from particularly as he speaks about the Father and then the Son and the Holy Spirit. And let me just say about this. I said to you that there's one God within one God. There are three persons. They work uh, together they don't work independently interdependently but they also do selective things and if you look at salvation you could say this about salvation god the father plans our salvation in eternity past he he recognized that apart from him doing something no one would be saved. so he planned it god the son pays for our salvation if the son had not entered history in the form of man we celebrate what part of the year for that christmas anybody heard of christmas okay okay Christmas is about God entering this planet in this history as a man so that he could pay that price. If he had not become a, a man, he could not have paid the price, which is death for our sins. The Son pays for our salvation. And in the Spirit, he perfects our salvation. He empowers our salvation as we live it out. Well, we're going to see some of that this morning as we think of the plan. We looked at already in the past, last, last Lord's Day, that God, the Father chooses and elects us. And I'm reviewing one of our points and then adding to one uh, just really briefly. And I, I mentioned to you last week, basically, in the beginning of the book of Ephesians, Paul writes one long lo- lawyer-type sentence and from verse 3 through verse 14. It's just one sentence. And he takes a deep breath and, 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 and speaks it out, and his secretary writes it down. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jumping to verse 5 having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. The gift of the Father, the gift of the Father, first of all, is the gift of adoption. And we talked about that last time. But just, just to put it plainly, we have a number of our people who have been adopted, both adults and children in our church. And they had the blessed um, experience of knowing that their parents um, didn't bring a life into this world by accident, but they're raising up a child by choice. And so their parents wanted them, and and, and they they rescued them out of a life of, in many cases, homelessness in a place where they were now placed in their home. And, and that's what God does for us. We are far from him. He rescues us from having no connection with a, a loving family and puts us, us into the eternal family. And in, in our whole household, the Johnson family, that, that's particularly dear to our household heart because alice my wife was adopted i don't know if i mentioned this to you last week but when we a group of us went down to la and did some ministry down there and there's a ministry down there called the dream center and we were as we were going by it alice said you know that's where i was born and i remember she telling me that she was born in the city of the the, the city of the the city of angels they call it that La, yeah. Well, that's what it used to be as a hospital. Now it's a it's a it's a church center. Okay, but she says that's where I was born. Probably one of those top floors up there. And for three months she lived there before she had no parents. But then Jim and Louise Stanley chose to bring her into their family, and that's what God does for us the the choosing and election of God is to say that God rescues us when we are orphans spiritually in this world. But then he goes on and. We didn't really touch on this last week, and it's somewhat of a nuance because some translations will, will kind of state it in a different way. But in verse 6 it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's New King James, some say in the New American Standard, bestowed us in his grace. But just thinking for a moment the idea of, of being accepted. We're adopted, and then we're accepted. Have you ever, any of you ever traveled to a new place? We've got some new visitors here in our church here today. And, and whenever you come in a new place, whether it's a church or a school or a job or a community or, or whatever it might be, you're wondering, I, I wonder how people are going to treat me. I wonder if I'm going to feel like I'm part of the crowd or part of the, the community. Do I, do, will I ever come to that point where I'm accepted? Ever felt that way? Am I, am I just. And, and you're just wondering. Am I going to be a perpetual stranger? Is everybody going to tell jokes I don't understand? Are they all going to talk about stories I've never heard? Or am I ever going to be brought into the, the circle of, of relationship? Well, see, God not only brings us into the family. He says, I want you to know you're going to be accepted. Do you know when adoption is done well? Adoption is done well, particularly in families in which they have birth children, is when you really can't tell which one of them is adopted. I was telling um, uh, K.J. Merkel, who's a, who's a, a newer uh, member of our church. she's in the first service most of the time. and I went to her mom's uh, funeral yesterday. It was a, a church in Irvine. And, and I, as I read the bulletin, that was the first time I'd realized she had been adopted. I'd met her mom, but I didn't know she was adopted because she was accepted. Gifts from God. Gifts from God the Father. He adopts us. He accepts us. Secondly, what about about the Son? What does the Son do for us? And some of these words will be familiar to you, and some maybe will give a little bit of a a new insight. Maybe not. But whether you've heard it for the first time or the hundredth time, these are great truths. Verse 7 says this. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. So we now know who the in Him is because we're talking about Jesus because He's the part of, of the Godhead who became man who died for us. So now we're talking about the son in him. We have redemption through his blood. So looking at, this, what the text says, and this is what Bible study is about. This is what preaching about, about just taking the Bible and then saying, what does it say? And then what does it mean? And how does it apply? So we obviously know there's a gift here. We are given the gift of redemption. Does that make sense? Like I'm not making this up. Nod your head like you're still listening. All right. So we have the gift of redemption. Well, what does that mean? It, it means simply that we have been bought with a price and, and this crowd would probably understand redemption better than maybe a younger crowd because, remember, the green stamps and the blue stamps and the stamps you used to take in there and you'd redeem stuff, right? Some of you are laughing, and realizing in those days. Well, we don't do that too much today. I don't know what we'd redeem. That's kind of a word we used to have in our culture, and we don't have it anymore, right? But what it means is you exchange something and you get something back, all right? Well, what happens is that Jesus exchanged something. He exchanged his life for our life. And so what happens is, particularly on a human level, it it's it's a purchase that now uh, allows something to ch- something to change ownership with, and even more graphically, it's a purchase which allows something or someone to be set free. And, and so, Paul was writing to a a crowd of people. We don't know how big. Some people feel the church at Ephesus was rather large. Some people feel it was rather small, depending upon uh, what part of of. Uh, church history you look at in terms of looking at the numbers but whatever number it was he was speaking to a group of people who probably many of them had experienced slavery firsthand in fact some of them might have still been slaves and they had heard about some slaves being redeemed but maybe they had not experienced that and so they brought some of that baggage into their relationship with god and and, and they felt more like a, a, a slave than he, they did like a person who was set free. And he said, I want you to understand, you've been redeemed. You are set free. And if it's not physically from the physical owner you have, you are set free spiritually. You are no longer under bondage. And so as we go through life, we, 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 need, to, we need to have that sense that because we're rich in Christ, that we are, we are free people before him. Now, the Scripture talks about it in so many different ways that we really don't have time to, to go at look at it in any depth. I have some of that in your outline this morning. But what are we set free from? Well, the, the Scripture talks about that pretty straightforwardly. We, we are set free, first of all, from religious ritual. Or, or put it another way, you could just say we are just set free from the law. The Bible, the Bible talks about it in Galatians 5, 1 through 4. And he said, don't, don't stay in that same bondage. You know, I noticed as you came in this this morning for worship, none of you brought a lamb to be sacrificed on an altar. Well, why is that true? Because we're set free from that, that we, we don't we don't bring our own offerings to God. The offering has been given in the same way too, all the the dietary and ceremonial laws. of The Old Testament, we don't slavishly follow after that because Jesus fulfilled all that law. We don't have to do those things to be in his presence. We are not under that bondage. We are set free. And have you seen some Christians, they're, they're so tied up to a list of rules, most of them not in the Bible, and they feel that's how they are to live their life. And we are set free from that. Secondly, we're set free from the power of sin. In, in Romans six eleven six seven says this: For he who has died has been freed from sin. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you say, you know, I, I, Jesus is done with the penalty of sin, but man, I, I still struggle so defeatedly with the things in my life I can't get rid of. Now, part of that is the journey, but we will live in defeat if we feel we have no power to overcome sin. Or the habits of the old life that just bring us down. We need to realize that we we can overcome that which is painful to God to observe. When we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And is painful to others around us. And what we need to remember is that we're set free. Have you ever been free and not realized you were or didn't act like it? I was telling the first service, I wasn't going to do this and I just threw in for, for free. Is that... Uh, I used to work for the library. I, I, I think somebody I've told I, I've told this before to somebody, but I used to work for the library when I uh, was was living in in Downey and going to Cal State Fullerton. And I took a summer job. I couldn't find anything else. So I became I, I couldn't even call myself a librarian. I was so far from a librarian. But I, I was a messenger boy, do whatever they tell you, boy type thing. Okay, and I was in college, and I, I, you know I had to stack the books and. In the Dewey Decimal system and you know, that is an endless job. You know, you never know if you're doing it right because you're not concentrating. You get a number mixed up or a letter mixed up, whatever. But the part that always got me is I was I was supposed to get magazines. Remember when they used to have magazines in libraries? You know, you used to go on the internet. Well, if you went if you went in and you wanted to get an old copy of Time magazine or Newsweek or whatever, you went up to the desk and say, Can I have X year, X month? and then somebody would go back and pick it out of the old stacks. Anybody remember that? It's just does that make sense? Okay. So that was my job. And what I'd be another part of the library and they they would I was supposed to come get the magazine and they had a they had a, a sound that would summon me. It was one of those clickers. You know, one of those things? So when that would go off, I was to drop whatever I was doing and I was to go back and get the person's magazine. Well, after the summer's over, that job was over, and 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 there was one, I don't know, it was a Saturday one in there and I was I was in the place where you got the current magazines, you know, the Sports Illustrates you could look at. So I was in a reading a magazine or whatever my and all of a sudden I heard this clicking sound. You know what I did? I got up out of my seat, went behind the desk and got somebody's periodical. <laughs> I, but then I stopped right before I did that and I thought, wait a minute. They don't have power over me anymore. I don't have to do that. I don't work for them. They don't they don't punch my ticket. They don't pay my uh, you know my salary. That's not my responsibility. I don't have to do that. And that's what it means to be set free from the power of sin. We don't have to do what we've always done before. Now, now usually a journey to, to go through that, developing good habits to replace the bad habits. But the thing that we need to realize is that when we're redeemed, we're set free from the old life. Now, then he goes on in other passages, we're also set free from the evil one. Colossians one thirteen. he delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us unto the kingdom of the son of his love. We are not under the thumb of the enemy. So from the father, we are adopted. From the father, we are accepted. From the son, we're redeemed. Uh, but not only that, we're also forgiven. Now, this is the, probably the most familiar gift that we receive the, from the Lord. But again, what does that mean? Well, literally what the word forgiveness means actually is to send away. And since I didn't give you a fill in the blank, if you want to do something at this point, you could circle the world sending when you forgive someone. And when God forgives you, he takes your sin, the guilt of your sin, and just throws it out. And Psalm 103, verse 12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. In Ephesians 1, 8, that's what it says, verse 7. Well, actually, verse 7 says, The forgiveness of sin according to the rich of his his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And so this is an abounding forgiveness. You could also say forgiveness is this. It's it's practicing, uh, practicing forgiveness. It is no longer holding sin against someone or in their account. See, as we think about the things that bring us guilt and shame before God, we need to recognize that when God forgives us, he just... He just puts paid in full over that he, he he just says that's no longer they're no longer indebted to me because of that past sin. It's no longer on the accounts. It's off the books. So we need to recognize that. But what happens? We we start hunting for past sins in our own life or other people's sin. Just just get rid of it. Send it away. In Leviticus 16, it's t- Graphically, in the Old Testament, they tried to illustrate before Jesus came. They, uh, on the Day of Atonement, they'd bring two goats into the temple area, and the high priest would be there, and they would slaughter one of the goats. And they would sprinkle the blood on the altar, symbolizing that sin had to be paid for by blood. There had to be a sacrifice for it. But they knew that the people still struggled with envisioning God being a forgiving God. So they took the other goat. The high priest would confess the sins of the people on the goat. And then they would send the goat out into the wilderness to be lost forever. And so when people go, oh, yeah, I remember when I did this. No, that, that's gone. That's out in the wilderness. It's, it's out of sight. And it should be out of your mind as well. So when we think about forgiveness, this is, this is, this is the gift of God. So we don't have to live lives of shame and guilt, but forgiveness. So the son gives us redemption. He gives us forgiveness. If we jump down to verse, and the other verses are great too, but we don't have time to talk about them. In verse 11, it says, In him, in Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance. So so he wants us to recognize that that we are rich in him. It's actually an interesting way to to look at this passage. You could look at it on two different ways. One is that we have become an inheritance or we have obtained one. And it's both a great concept to, to live life with. If we are an inheritance, that's what Jesus received from us as being uh, that which he rescued from the cross. Remember in Hebrews it says it was the joy set before him that he went to the cross. And so we are his joy. We are his inheritance. We are what he received, an eternal family. But most take it as, as an inheritance that we receive. I think we've all seen those commercials, you know, say You know, where they they talk about, you know, around a campfire and they're all having a good time. It can't get any better than this. It's going to get a lot better than this. And we don't live life feeling this is all we get. That's all there is. And as we think about loved ones gone before us, as we think about the struggles that we're going through life, uh, we recognize that God has prepared a place for us where there is going to be no weeping. and There's going to be no sorrow and we'll experience the fullness and richness of that's what God has prepared for us. So we ought to live in light of what's coming next. So the Father gives us adoption and acceptance. The Son gives us redemption. He gives us forgiveness. He he gives an inheritance. What does the Spirit do for us? Well, jumping down to the last two verses in this long, run-on sentence that They put periods in in the English translations, but it says this: in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also having believed. And then it says this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What does the Holy Spirit do? He seals us. And this to put it in another way, in verse 14, it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? There comes a time in in all uh, followers of Christ where where doubt begins to creep in, doesn't it? Where where you begin wondering, uh, is this all wishful thinking? How, how do I how do I know it's true? Or or what if God decides to change His mind on me? I, some popped in my mind in the first service. I was thinking, even as as Jesus called uh, the disciples of the the twelve apostles to Him, He called them to become fishers of men, right? i think, of, well, you know, depending on how you want to take that analogy, that's either a good analogy or a bad analogy. I've gone fishing, and sometimes when you catch fish and there's something comes on your, on your line, you take it up to the shore, and it's kind of small, and what do you do with a small fish? You throw it back, right? I wonder if God sometimes thinks, you know, I, I kind of reined him in, and man, he's still kind of a little one. I'm just going to throw him back and get another one, you know? Is that how God's going to treat us? No, because he sealed us with his promise he's giving us a pledge the holy spirit is the pledge which means okay in case in case you're wondering by this really seal I'll, I'll give you the holy spirit who lives within you and he will be the witness to your own spirit that you are a child of his and that's what romans 8 says my spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of god and so we think about the gifts of god and the gifts of the holy spirit he he wants us to live lives of security In fact in your outline this morning and we won't touch everyone i i i put it under the idea of pledge which this the A, B, C, D really goes under all of them. But him being our seal, it signifies completion, it signifies his ownership, it signifies security, and it signifies authenticity. And all those bring just joy when you think about the significance of that. He, uh, it's a completed transaction. If you ever been involved in a, in a deal which the last signature didn't get you know, put on the document, there was one less one more thing holding it up, and because one thing was holding up, it 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 never really came to pass. You know, the seal of, of God on our lives is that when Jesus did that work, it was finished. And see, basically a seal was put on a document, a lot of times a legal document, and if it was an important legal document, they would put some wax on it, and then there would be the ring on the person who was the official would be planted on the top of that 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 wax in the that statement would make that official, and, and we need to understand when, when God made that transaction where we became a child of His. It was a completed deal, and it's complete because of His end. And, and the whole idea of, of ownership is now we're, we're His property. You know, First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty, particularly nineteen says, "For don't you know you're, you're bought with a price, and, and that you're really not your own." Your temple is the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and therefore glorify God in your body. Why? Because we represent Him. And that's what that seal on our life, that pledge that's found in the Spirit. We're secure. In fact, if you have your Bibles in Ephesians, turn over to Ephesians 4.30. In Ephesians 4.30, it says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's what happens when we sin. But then then He gives the promise. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How long is this seal going to last? You know, we've all been, we've all at times purchased uh, products that had a guarantee on it. Usually, how do those guarantees work? They work right until the day after they break, right? You know, it's a 30-day guarantee and then on the 31st day it breaks or whatever it might be. It's a three-year guarantee and on the three years and one more day, that's when it breaks down. Okay, well, this seal is as good as the day of redemption, which is when Jesus comes. That, that's, that's basically a lifelong, eternal uh, guarantee. So it's secure. And then I like the whole idea of authenticity. In Romans chapter 8, 9, 17, talks about, you know, if you had the Spirit of God, then you really are part of His family. Are you an authentic child of God? Are, are you genuine, or, or are you a poser? Are you, are you the real deal? The way you know you're a real deal, because you, you have the Spirit of God living within you. We all fall short. We all struggle, even though we have the power over sin, but we we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and he bears witness that we're one of his. So so what's the point this morning? The point this morning, getting back to the beginning, which is we presented the, the simple message of the gospel. Have you received the gift? You can't worry about the other gifts, the gift of a blessing, the the gift of adoption, the gift of acceptance, the gift of redemption, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of inheritance, the gift of sealing, the gift of a pledge, and, until you've got the gift, which is the, the relationship you find in Jesus Christ. And then if you've made sure you've got that gift, then, then enjoy all the other gifts. Uh, Hap Stevens, who many of you know, some of you don't know, but Hap has been... Uh, a member, a follower of Christ in this church for many, many years. And he normally comes to the first service because he likes that rock and roll music. I don't know, I don't know. He, he's, he's well into his 90s, okay? And he was, he was in the back of the church and I, and I came up to him before the service. So I said, hi, Hapa, how you doing? He goes, great. And I said, how was your week this week? He says, it was a good week. He says, like every week is. He's in a wheelchair every day now. He, he was, uh, some of you know, he, he was, in his 90s, he started Arthur Murray as a dancing, dancing machine, all right? And I'm thinking, he had an accident, and all of a sudden, he went to a person who could not dance, and he also liked to golf, and now he's in a wheelchair every day of his life or laying on a bed. How's your week? It's a good week like every week. Now, how can he say that? Because he's received the gift and all the other gifts. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled at times when... We know the truth, and in reality, we're at any moment not believing it or allowing your Spirit to help us live it out. And Father, that's not to put us to shame, but to, to, to cause us to, to realize we're living like spiritual misers, spiritual paupers. And when we do that, not only do we lose out, but the message of the gospel loses out because people don't see as clear as they could uh, Jesus in us, the reality of what a, what a faith in the true God does. It, it changes us from the inside. Father, help us on this Father's Day in which we celebrate life, life and family to, to recognize there's so much more when we trust in the one who's given us so many gifts. And we pray this in Christ's name, Amen. As we conclude our time together.